Welcome to Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by Eric Perrot. It's Wednesday night, and I'm happy to be here. And Jake Wall. <laughs> What's going on, guys? And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Fellas, it's good to see you. We have a special guest here today joining uh it is air force master sergeant retired shannon singleton shannon thanks for coming on the show man gentlemen thanks for the invite uh here's a little background on shannon uh you grow up you grew up in scarborough west virginia that's that every time i see that i have to pause and say that the correct way (laughs) scarborough right yes okay Scarborough. just like star joe Without the second Scarlett Brohansen, West Virginia. Uh, you joined the Air Force in '98. Your AFSC was one and zero Intel, and your tech school was a good fellow. Your first assignment was to Shriver with the 11th Space Warning Squadron. Uh, your next assignments included Scott Osan and Wright Pat. In 2009, you deployed to Kabul. Uh, then you came back with an assignment to Washington, D.C., followed by your last assignment to Barksdale Air Force Base, Louisiana, and that's where you retired in 2019. Sir, yes, sir. But thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and you can catch his interview just, what did we do that, a couple of weeks ago? February 4th was the day it went live. Wow, that's you are an exacting son of a bitch. Oh, no, no, because remember. <laughs> The, the amount of time that we spent trying to figure out and go through everything, uh, February oh, that's 4th right. was the anniversary of me going into basic training. That's right. That's right. It was very circular. I forgot about that. That's right. Uh, okay. Let's see. All right. Tell, uh, I'll give you a choice. Tell me either your most memorable enlistment or your most memorable TDY. So we'll go with the memorable enlistment because on the the uh the story that you and i did together we did the tdy piece so for the enlistment i was re-enlisting for uh around the 14 to 15 year point and i was in dc and so uh i got promoted one of my bosses promoted me we got promoted the same day it was great it's a whole bunch of civilians a couple of army guys a navy officer uh, a couple of army dudes and we were down on the pier Well, not the pier, but they've got this little boathouse club thing on Bowling Air Force Base. And so we're out there and in the middle of, you know, the whole uh, re-enlistment piece and all that, um, they get to a part where it's like a really passionate crescendo piece. And um, Marine One, all three of them just come flying by and they're going low. So it's like this perfect, hey, I planned that flyover for Really? Yeah, so it was um, it, it was fun because that was one of the last ones. My wife and daughter were both there, although the daughter was, you know, real little baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it was it, it was a, a great reenlistment. The rest of them, I I vaguely remember. They were, you know, not yeah, too memorable, sure. but that one. That's um, that one was when I actually cared about a reenlistment. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. Nice. That's better than the average reenlistment. Absolutely, yeah. Especially when, especially at that point in your career usually yeah. you you reserve those great re-enlistments for you know uh 
younger than 15 years. So that was yeah. pretty cool. That's a good one. Yeah, it was. Uh, and the group I had was great. Um, they they had a couple of joke things. Uh, so one of them they had the uh the picture of like because Obama was just right around the time that he was going for the the second. Um, oh yeah. Uh, his reenlistment know, election for yeah for his reenlistment. Um, <laughs> his was a little bit nicer than mine. Uh, still jealous. Uh, but they hadn't had that four more years that people would always show for Obama for his reelection that said four more years. They actually printed out a couple of those. And when I was raising my hand to do the four years, they're like flipping them up. Nice. <laughs> That's a good group. You, you must have been liked. I didn't know what that was like. So That's, that, that, that must have been fun. I can't tell if Jake is sitting on a low stool or if he's incredibly tired and bored right now. <laughs> no, I was listening. <laughs> and it, it well, is, it's just a, a folding chair. Yeah, there's there's not that good seating that fits into a, a closet. You <laughs> almost look like you're in a deployed room, really. Yeah, nice. Thank you. You know, <laughs> I go for that. <laughs> That's what I did when I bought my house. I was like, have you ever been deployed? Are these rooms bigger than 10 by 10? And can I have multiple bunk beds in them? Or a cop. Yeah. I'm how, many, how many Gatorade bottles can I sit right Eric, next to? Oh. <laughs> Eric, the the one time, well, the first time I went to Korea, I was like, oh, I'm a senior. I'm going to get some good accommodations. I'm going to be good. I go there and they're like, here's your cot. And I was like, whoa, man. They're like, they go, they go, this is the high ranking tent. Oh. And I'm like, really? Lieutenant Colonel yeah. on either side of me on oh, call. Yes, man. Yeah. Oh, oh, you at? Shit. Osan? Osan. During okay. the Osan during the exercises. Yeah. And after oh, I thought first day you were there Korean War. No, no. <laughs> that would be nice though. Shannon, I'm the one with the silver beard, brother. <laughs> hey, no, man, that's okay. Just you know, I because I remember in uh oh seven, oh eight, I want to say was when I was at Osan, and um they uh they were putting they had a few folks at the Tarumi, that big hotel that they yep. had at the center base. But a lot of people had to say, so my wife was at Kunsan and she got deployed to Osan for the exercise. And she's like, they want us to sleep in a tent. I was like, come on, hon, you can sleep in my room with me. Yep. Well, the <laughs> like, well, as I got home, here, would you the, offer it to anyone else? I was like, whoever's paying the most. <laughs> <laughs> the very next trip, they were like, hey, you're going back out to Korea. I was like, deal. I organized an Airbnb off base. No, yeah, it was me and four other dudes sharing a three-bedroom hey, Airbnb under hey. per diem because I negotiated with the guy. <laughs> nice, and we and we got passes to walk around after curfew. Ooh. It was fantastic. How far, where was it when you came out the front gate? Uh, the first time when you go out the main gate, it was to the left, and it was kind of up on that hill. Okay, so up there where the uh, they had a Thai restaurant on the second floor up there, really nice place. Now that's uh, I think that's to the right. There's nothing but um, residential, nothing but residential on the left. Other than you know the random Seven Eleven or the Twenty Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The second time though, I went. We went out like halfway down the strip, 
and two blocks to the right. And that's where our apartment was the second time. God damn. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Eric, you got a day in history for us. I do, guys. So we're going to take a little trip tonight. We're going back to March 8th, 1862. And if you remember a battle, and it was called the Battle of Hampton Roads. Can anybody tell me what that consisted of? Hampton Roads. Hampton Hampton Roads. Roads. That's a good one. I take that as a nobody. Nobody's got it. All right, gentlemen. It's it's one of the better ones. (laughs) It's a good one. One of the best road named battles. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's good. Did it happen in Virginia? Uh, Let's see. As a matter of fact, it did. Uh Uh-oh. Here's one thing. Don't ask details. All right. We just barely gloss over this crap. <laughs> Don't get in depth, ask numbers or years. You can't well, you know. damn thing together. All right. So March 8th was the first <laughs> launching of the Merrimack. What was the Merrimack? Merrimack? Uh the battleship. The CSS Merrimack, by the way. Confederate States, it was the ironclad. Okay. Mm-hmm. And after it launched on March 8th, it, you know, sailed out on March 9th to meet the other ironclad, which was named what? Oh, Old the, Ironclad. The, it, it had a, weren't they both M's? God, I can't yes, remember. Yes, they were. It was in a Clive Cussler book. Who That's right. They were searching for it, right? Yep. Monitor. <laughs> the monitor. Monitor. Hey, look at that. So the Battle of Hampton Roads, also known as the Battle of the Ironclads, occurred on the mar- on the morning of March 9th, 1862, between oh. the USS Monitor and the Merrimack. CSS, actually the name was CSS Virginia, during the American Civil War, 1861 through 65, wow. and was history's first naval battle between ironclad warships. It was part of a Confederate effort to break the Union blockade of southern ports, including Norfolk and Richmond, Virginia, that had been imposed at the start of the war. Though the battle itself was inconclusive, it began a new era in naval warfare. So cannonballs were bouncing off the sides. Of both that's the even, image that I have. I was like, fire, <laughs> doink. Not a, not ah. a lot of damage. Come on. <laughs> you fire, doink. <laughs> The crazy part of it, though, was most of it be- below was all wood below the ironclad. So the actual- oh, it was oh okay yeah. So it had just- a, a decking yeah of iron, but the the ship itself was actually still wood made of wood. Yeah. That's pretty a cool. good one, man. That's pretty cool. Thank you, gentlemen. Good trip well, back done. to the world. I, I love when you go. Hey, you remember that date? <laughs> 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 well, some of them. I think, you know, would stand out more than others. You know what I mean? So the, the first battle of the Ironclads, it's pretty big. Yeah. 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 Well, if we were any better at that. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia. <laughs> we'd probably be making a lot more money than we're making now. Uh, okay. So this this episode seems like it's going to be turning into a, an all-recruiting episode. But let me preface it first. So uh, yesterday... 
Um, they had the Air and Space Force Association's Air Warfare Symposium. Got it, Pete? Yeah. Have you ever been? To, I've been to that once. I had it's held to, in my facility as a contractor. Down. I, at, um, I think I went as an escort or a usher or something like that. It's the most boring thing I've ever been to, right? There's a lot of big wigs there, a lot of brass, a lot of high-ranking GS people there. But it's one of the most boring things I've ever been to. So, uh, But Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall was speaking there, and he said the Air Force is already struggling to add new airmen to its ranks and will likely miss its active duty reserve and Air National Guard recruiting goals this year. Already, yeah, it's just it's end of the first quarter. <laughs> that's what you do. That's what happens when uh, when you're going full DSD for recruiters. They're just tired of doing it now. That it could be, man. It could be. Uh, Kendall pointed to decreased interest in wanting to serve in the military as one of the main contributing factors to a projected shortfall in this year's recruiting numbers. Uh, Secretary Kendall said during his speech he wanted the uniformed members in the crowd to help grow and spread the message about joining the services, adding that while recruiting numbers are dire, retention numbers are not. So that's dire. positive, right? At least they're keeping people. You buy that, though? Not sure I buy that comment. <laughs> it's, it's Maybe the retention numbers are better than the recruiting numbers. That doesn't seem make it seem like it's any better. But maybe they're right. keeping more. I don't know. The percentage was. I don't know how that works. Um, he said, quote, we need this community to help spread the word to America's youth that there are great opportunities in the U.S. military, especially in the Air Force, Space Force, in all components, active guard and reserve. As evidence of that fact, retention numbers look very good. We're keeping the people that we get, but we need to get more people. All right. So on the basis of his comments, just yesterday or monday i can't remember what um we go into our first story from sandbox.us no more tattoo taboo air force and space force to allow neck and hand tattoos (laughs) (laughs) ms13 baby I knew I should have got that mustache years ago. That finger mustache. <laughs> the one right, oh, the finger one. I thought you I thought the one between the crook of your thumb and your finger. So you can go oh. two. Yeah. Uh in a move that the US Air Force and the Space Force said was made with modern Americans in mind, the two services will allow hand and neck tattoos for the first time. With recruitment down across all services, some of the disqualifying factors that had prohibited some young people from enlisting are now allowed. According to the Army's Training and Doctrine Command, 41% of young Americans aged 18 to 34 have at least one tattoo. In trying to remedy the situation, the Army eased its own restrictions on certain tattoos last year. Alex Wagner, Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, said changes were necessary. And here, this, uh, this is where the good quote comes up. To remain competitive, both with the private sector and our fellow military services, we are reexamining and updating our approach to talent sourcing and management. So it's not recruiting people. It's talent sourcing and management. 
And that requires constant review and reevaluation of our accession policies and ensuring that any changes are consistent with those high military standards required for mission accomplishment. Under the new service policy, airmen and guardians are allowed to have one tattoo. Uh, Okay, follow this. We've read some of these in the past where they describe how they can have them. This one is just as bad. (laughs) <laughs> so under the new service policy, airmen and guardians are allowed to have one tattoo on each hand and one tattoo on the back of the neck. However, the neck tattoo can only be placed behind a vertical line at the opening of the ear orifice around the back to a vertical line at the opening of the other ear orifice and includes behind the ear. <laughs> this is <laughs> up, man. So it can only go... <laughs> that high up, like to the top of your spine, basically. Essentially. And centered, I think. And centered uh, is what they're so trying to say. Go that high up. A head tattoo for Jake and I would not have been, it wouldn't go. We put well, something on I know a lieutenant colonel that she has a tattoo right behind her ear. Right. They're allowed that. Yeah. Concealer on it. Yeah. Oh, she does. Well, now she does, but maybe in the future, yeah. she won't have to. Yeah. That's so nothing weird. on the head, anything on the face? Tears. Uh, no. <laughs> For every reenlistment, you get you get Air Force <laughs> wings. Little baby half Arnold wings. <laughs> on the face. That's awesome. I oh, just stopped my general. <laughs> What'd you say, Shannon? I said I just pictured that. I love it. Oh, it's, that's awesome. That, I that's, think that's like I think that should be mandatory now, just like the uh, the Marine one we were talking about earlier. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> these are all fantastic ideas for some kind of parody movie. You know, oh. so that, that would be funny as shit. Right. Oh yeah, so I, that means I I didn't have to like wear a wig to cover up the uh, um the the barcode that i had on the base of my neck that nope. came up to a beautiful butterfly you're good um, it, yeah. I, I, you just didn't I, wait I, long I, enough I, I wouldn't have the... yeah that shows how talented i might have been a trend center yeah. how fast can we throw 200 years of tradition straight out the door yeah well it's, they're desperate right well maybe so, that I'll take this. Of going it. back to Going back to the first thing that when, whenever you were talking about, you know, uh, what the chief of staff was saying about trying to do recruiting, yeah. you know, we just need to lay into this talent acquisition all the way. And we just need to change the Air Force's motto from fly, tack, 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 fight, tack, 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 win, tack, 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 whatever it is. And just say the Air Force, it is a great alternative to military service. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Space Force might uh, object to that. Mm. Space Force might already have that trademarked. Who knows? You know, they're still doing Steve Carell has it trademarked. That's right. Teams dial in for training. Remember that. I can dial in from home to get my training. I got people dialing in for formation. Yeah. They're doing Zoom formations in like some reserve places. Unbelievable. Uh, tattoos, brands, body markings, however, are still banned on the head, face, tongue, lips, eyes, and scalp. 
as well as any that are obscene, commonly associated with criminal gangs, extremist, and or supremacist organizations, or that promote sexual, racial, ethnic, or religious discrimination are prohibited in and out of uniform. So can't you see it now? I walk into the recruiting office. Sir, I want to join the Air Force. Strip naked. I need to look at your tattoos. Recruiter's got a great job now. (laughs) Wait, that's what they were telling me back in, you know, 97. Wow. Well. And I have tattoos. If you remember, uh, I mean, there was a scene in Officer and a Gentleman, right? But that was common back then. Uh, Officers couldn't have tattoos at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was early 80s, late, you know, all the way up until the early 80s. Last year, the Space Force allowed neck tattoos, but not ink on the hands other than a one inch ring tattoo. Is that that popular? People getting the ring yes. tattooed on their fingers? Is it that popular? Yeah. Oh. So a lot of the maintainer guys that I've met, um, if they've got a marriage that's lasted, um, or they got drink quick, <laughs> drunk quick. Um, they will get that tattoo because they can't wear a ring while they're at work. Yep. It would seem that that's like a chance to go, oh, let me take this fucking ring off. <laughs> no. Well, and some of them do that whole rubber band kind of thing now, that big. Oh, they've got, they have big market for those rubber rings. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marine Corps still doesn't allow tattoos on the neck and hands other than a ring tattoo, while the Navy has a policy similar to the Army and now the Air Force. So think about this for a second. All the story, stories we've covered over the last just six, seven months that we've been doing this show. Uh, what a time to come in as a recruit. Right? Yeah. I mean, you could, uh, they're giving classes if you don't uh, score high enough on the ASVAB. They'll now train you. It's almost like SAT classes Score given by the military, right? If you've smoked pot, though, there the time from when you can reapply is, I don't know. I think uh, six months, or I, I can't remember what it is, but it's shorter than what it ever. Well, it was no before, right? It was just a flat mm-hmm. out no. Yeah. Um, now you can come in tatted. You can come in bearded. You know, you can have long hair. I mean, geez, yeah, woman. I almost feel like a recruit coming walking into a, re- a recruiter's office if they have their wits about them can go, look, here's what I want. You know, oh, if you yeah. don't give it to me, I'm walking out the door. And they're like, oh, hold, hold on, hold on. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm still shocked that actual tongue tattoos are a thing because I just Googled that on the other screen. It's impressive. That's, that's I knew the I knew the lip was a thing but actually on the tongue tattoos does it even stay over a period of time i, I would think it would wear like hand tattoos wear off quick like they dissolve quick it's i can't imagine shed. the tongue Excuse tattoo me. would stay for any significant amount of time yeah but if you're getting a tongue tattoo you're probably not expecting a long life expectancy <laughs> that's valid <laughs> All right, you just have i mean you gotta this is the guy that we want to put in the hardest assignment. Look at how, <laughs> look at this. And give, him a, give him a gun for Christ's sakes. He needs <laughs> a gun. Give him a gun. This is a little bit more fun. Uh, another recruitment story here. Uh, you've seen it. I, I read about this last, uh, like last week, but now it's coming out more and more. Uh, the army is, put it this way. Do you remember, I think, 
think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago. Uh, it got a lot of publicity, uh, or a lot of anti uh, sentiment by a lot of the conservative news stations. But remember when the army put that one recruitment video out with the with the girl who had two moms? Did you ever mm-hmm. see that? Well, uh, they've decided that may not that didn't really work. So they're coming up with the new oh. ads. They had a, another ad last year, but now. What's the army going to do? The army's new ad campaign brings back "Be All You Can Be" as it courts Generation Z. That's a fantastic rhyme. Whoever wrote that headline, that's great. Um, what is old is new again in the army's latest marketing campaign launched Monday, resurrecting the 1980s and 1990s era slogan "Be All You Can Be," minus, of course, the old jingles and mustaches. <laughs> which is funny i'll show you i'll show you one of those in a second uh the new ad comes as a service that struggled to appeal to gen z and off the heels of the worst recruiting year in its history coming up fifteen thousand soldiers short of its goal of sixty thousand new recruits new recruits service leaders have even more ambitious recruiting goals this year aiming for sixty five thousand new enlistees good luck with that good luck uh, the new ad ditches, and I guess their latest one was called "What's Your Warrior." Now, I I had to look that up. I'd never seen it, and if you've seen it, it's very. Uh, there's not. I was I was going to play it, but there's not much language in it. It's mostly written on the screen, and it's just all these fast cuts back and forth between these jobs that weren't really combat jobs, right? Uh, the marketing effort pitched young Americans to enlist into a force with a diverse range of high-tech fields, largely sidelining combat arms roles that make up an extreme minority of jobs in the service in favor of promoting skills translatable to the civilian tech sector. Interesting, though, that they talked to um, <laughs> this lady named Catherine. So, hold on. Let oh, me ask yeah. a question, Marty, before you go any further. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is hide the fact that you're actually in the Army and you may have to go to a combat environment by showing you another job where you may not have to deal with a combat environment. Uh, essentially, they were trying – that whole last ad was trying to say, hey, look what you can get out of the Army, and then after your four years, you can take this and go to some Lockheed Martin or Northrop or whatever okay. it is, right? yeah. That's what they were trying to do, but this this woman, and Jake, this is right up your alley because her li- listen to what she does. Catherine Kuzmis- Kuzminski, who is a military police expert at Center for a New American S- Security, a Washington D.C. based think tank. That's a hell of a title, right? We're all about titles. Yeah, and she's a think tanker. No, I've always been curious what I love the idea of a think tank coming up with good stuff. Um, what do they actually do? I don't know. Outside other than sit around and bullshit about good ideas. Like, what's your what's your day? Right? You sit it's around the, the table. It's, like, day. it's it's what we're doing here. We're think tanks. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, do they have a requirement? Like, okay, are they ever gonna get fired? Like, okay, that idea was stupid as hell. It did not work. You didn't think about hey, the third year effect of this. You Please. said no bad ideas in the beginning. What are you talking about? 
Yeah, that's the brainstorming piece of it. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. So There's... most think tanks, the only reason why why they're there and they will because I've talked to folks from a couple of these throughout the years and I I've you know I'm an intel guy, I had to read a bunch of stuff from think tanks. Oh yeah. It is predominantly it's just folks trying to argue a point as to why this issue is a good issue, whether it's using stats or foreign policy or something of that nature. They're not like coming up with new engineering and technical concepts. Uh, they're just like, hey, you know what? I heard this on TV last night. Let's prove or disprove it. And I think we should lean towards the proving. I missed my calling. Yeah. You yeah, know who, yeah, joined, right. uh, who got out and was part of a think tank in D.C. area was Lammy, the Intel guy. Or well, the Intel guy oh. that would, would make... This Intel guy, he was amazing. He on mids, he would walk around the op store in black socks and Summy. log summy. Log and time how long it would take somebody to notice that he was walking around in socks. And then on the background of the Intel brief, he would hide an island on there at a random locations throughout like it was a globe on the background and then all the upcoming missiles or any information or whatever you know and he would go oh did you find lucia <laughs> and i'm like get the get the hell out of here Sammy. he was so damn funny he was cracked me up man he shannon he was one of those types and i've met most I mean, the job that has most of these types seemed to be Intel, right? Medics, yeah. what medics was another one, but he was he was too smart for his own good, yeah. And he was he would he'd get bored with the job, and so he'd start doing all these antics that were hilarious. Uh, they were oh, so it, fun. It made midshifts fantastic. But it was, oh, Intel guys are Intel guys. We we are great at coming up with a large chunk of us with coming up with real <laughs> stupid, ridiculous concepts and ideas to try out and see what we can get away with, because it's kind of, how are we going to fit in being as socially inept as we are? I, I don't know if that's where it's from, but, uh, there's a lot. well, that was mine. <laughs> he would tutor college students. And then he started dating random college students. I know. I forgot. Um, and he would call them his concubine, like <laughs> all the time, concubine, my concubine. And so I'd go down there and BS with it. And he goes, Hey, Sunwall, you ever experimented with food? And I'm like, What are you talking about, Summy? He goes, So the concubine and I, we're, we're having a good time. We got the chocolate syrup out. We got oh the my God. And he goes, and we ran out. <laughs> and he goes, let me tell you, it all goes downhill once you break out that thousand island. <laughs> oh my like, God. Me, you never make sweet with savory. You never do that. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> Pickle chunks. Oh, my God. Don't. <laughs> Don't go well in my mind. He, I mean, those those couple of years that we worked on that crew, he was just a savior on midshifts. I mean, you actually look forward to seeing what he was going to do on the next shift because he would he would alter the uh, the crew in brief some way, 
and you'd have to try to figure it out. Sometimes it was a little too obvious. He got in trouble a couple times for doing that. Yeah, I want to hear his interview, Marty. We need to go find. Oh him. my god, I have no that, idea I, where that would be. That would be so funny. He was anyway. a teacher that got kicked out of teaching. That's right. he, he joined the Air Force. Yeah. Oh, he was like, yeah, I got, I got kicked out of teaching. I was like, concubine issues. <laughs> he goes, maybe. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no, back to the think tank lady. And she has a good point here. She says, uh, I think if someone is after something strictly monetary, there are other options, but this highlights a call to service. For cyber, there is no bonus that can be offered that a tech company cannot provide. But showing how military yeah. service is unique can do something that increases interest. So she's, you know, if, if you're trying to pitch something like cyber, come and learn cyber in the army, to some, probably, you know, on the lower income scale, that's like, okay, well, I can't afford to go take a cyber course. But there are, I know there are some companies that are like, hey, we'll we'll take you in as an intern, train you, and then you work for us. So that just undercuts the military completely, at least as far as that pitch goes, right? And I would say one out of five would be the one exception to that rule that said, I want to do it for service. Everybody else is going to do it for money. Uh, yeah, right. Especially... And we're talking about the Army here, but especially, I mean, Air Force, probably a little bit of Navy, but Air Force and Space Force, I think everybody joining them has eyes on, you know, a clearance and the training, and then you're going to get a job after that. So here's a, here's their new ad. And I got to admit, it's not bad, actually. All right. Oh, Wisconsin. There's the song. What does it mean when people say America is a land of opportunity? It means we strive to be a nation of limitless possibilities. Exploring those possibilities isn't just an inclination. It's our greatest strength. The power to discover. To redefine yourself. To improve yourself. To challenge yourself. To challenge yourself. To challenge yourself. To realize there's more in you than you ever knew that you could do. To be all you can be. To be all you can be. It means never assuming something can't be done. And if it's the right thing to do, never stopping until you achieve it. That's how the U.S. Army has succeeded since the founding of this country. Since the founding of this country. Giving people an open field to explore what they do best. With the best tools. The best training. The best technology in the world. The possibilities really are endless. That's the And the major. world sees that. It's what we fight for every day. Every day. Every day. Seeing those possibilities, then going out and achieving them, that's winning. And we all know that winning matters. Having possibilities matters. It's what makes every soldier swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. America was built on embracing possibilities. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. We bring out the best in the people who serve. Because America calls for nothing less. So you can be all you can be. 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 I'm going to say this. I can't believe it, but I like it. It's not bad. It had it had a little it had a little Marvel movie kind of feel to it. Yeah. You know, the building music. Uh, I didn't like the rapid fire BL you can be. I thought that was a little crazy at the end, but 
Uh, wasn't too bad. Yeah, for the most part, I liked it. For perspective. <laughs> uh, this was from the 80s. See if you guys remember this one. Look at that mustache. Things you've never known. It's been tough, rough going, but you haven't known alone. We do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Think all that you can be. Hey, First Sergeant. Good morning. Find your future in the army. Now, there was a, there was a rumor I heard when I was in the military. That that guy who said, hey, First Sergeant, good morning, actually got kicked out for drugs. Probably. <laughs> Which is probably not that big of a stretch, right? Yeah. Didn't hey. everyone in the Army almost get kicked out for drugs back then, though? Yeah. One well, time. I like how you say back then, like it's not happening. <laughs> That's true. Anyway. By so the you, way, yeah, uh, that commercial, um, the music on that one shows you how hard things got for some folks in the 80s. Because uh, I'm a big Bloister Cult fan, but... Uh, can't believe they had to do they had to do that uh, commercial. Was that blue oyster cult? Really? Blue oyster? No, but it cult? sounds like them. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. Holy cow! I mean, if they would have put cowbell in there, I'd have been like, "Yeah, that's them." Yeah, I don't know. That's no Godzilla, but I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess you got to no, do what you got to do. If you look do. at some of the stuff that was on the rest of those greatest hits albums that they used to fill out the rest of the stuff, yeah, that's true. There's some good rock stuff, but it's that same voiceover. Their side B was not great. So for I like how you said, like oh maybe the army's changed basically right. As of January 11th, 15 U.S. Army special operators uh, soldiers were questioned during Fort Bragg drug probe. <laughs> the question becomes federally: When does marijuana become legal federally? That, that is a good question, and that's I mean we've talked about that before. Yeah. But is it marijuana? If I, I don't know. Spice, baby. Spice. To, to give you a little bit on that one, uh, I had a, a buddy who was uh, Army Intel. He was airborne qualified, so he was at Bragg. Um, and uh, he kept getting popped for piss tests. <laughs> and so he got pissed off one day, and he was talking to their because they have an actual monitor who does all the piss tests for the battalion. It's just like some dude, it's his duty. Yeah. And he's like, why do I keep getting popped for this? And one of the guys is like, it's because they know you're clean. Turns out the guy who was dealing the drugs was the guy who was running the piss test program. Oh. So he knew how to, you know, let these guys know, Hey man, don't, don't use anything over the next couple of days. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was genius. I was like, that's, oh. and my buddy was like, you He's like, I couldn't, I couldn't fault the guy for it. I was like, yeah, I'll go do a big test. You've, you've got a great thing going on there. And they just decided to do a random 100% piss test. And oh, oh man. shit. <laughs> and it was not pot. No, no, those guys were, um, they, they, there was quite a few different things going on there. And, uh, most of it was, uh, to keep them from having sinus infections. <laughs> right. <laughs> The old Colombian nose candy. It's yeah, a little Alka-Seltzer for the snores. It's Sudafed, I swear. Yeah, I just crush it up. It gets the bloodstream quicker. <laughs> we should do. We should do an episode of a like a blotter report episode. You know. Oh, oh yeah, fun. Because we all have we all have 
stories that we've heard too. So endless, endless stories, endless stories. Maybe we'll do that next week. Uh, tonight we continue with our all military selections, our all military team selection. So to recap, like we were talking earlier, uh, our all military battleship, Eric, the USS New Jersey, Uh, our all military tank was the M4 Sherman, the all military jet, the F-15, and the all military rifle is the Spencer rifle. So tonight, it's Air Force Generals. And Shannon, since you're our guest, you get to cast the deciding vote. After hearing our arguments, you will choose the Air Force General All-Star. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, who wants to go first? (laughs) I'll go first. Okay, Jake, you're up. All right. I chose Billy Mitchell. Um, the son of a senator and was commissioned before World War One. fought Whoa. briefly in the Philippines, and then came back, got stationed in Alaska, made a name for himself in early aviation, known as the godfather, or sorry, the father of the Air Force. Because really? there, right when Army Air Corps was kicking off in huh. World War One. The U.S. military had one aircraft, and Billy Mitchell, being one of the only pilots, got to and an officer took that over to England and fought in the European front with that. Damn. Later on, U.S. military personnel pilots came over. We had to beg, borrow, and steal airframe from Italians, French, um, and English. Really? Just to keep, yeah. So, and we he, invented the shit, and we had to still borrow yep. from all these and, other. And countries. he was there when on one of the early flights, and that's what got him hooked. Huh. So he grew up in Ohio. He was there when Wright brothers flew er, early on, Damn. and it got him hooked. So, World War One kicks off. He becomes the big man. He's been commissioned for a while. He's always been kind of a kind of a dick right he, he's he's not shy about calling leadership out ever like there's stories when he was in the signal corps in alaska that he was calling people out making a name for himself was very efficient and very good at what he did but constantly calling people out for so kindred kindred spirit with this guy yeah. you and him yeah billy mitchell style right <laughs> So he goes World War One, works his way up, becomes the officer in charge of all U.S. Air Force people or flying personnel during Jeez. World War One. Jesus sets up and um, volunteers for crazy missions. Just one of the missions was, you know, it's trench warfare. The the Germans were kind of being quiet. Well, it turns out they were moving an offensive up north and starting to flank everybody he volunteered got in his aircraft flew up there flew over the german front line all the way over the german front line saw what they were doing turned around immediately flew back landed said this is what's going on we need to take action right now and we were able to flank 
And it was one of the main offensive movements that led to um, shifting of tides in World War One. No kidding. Yeah. So I Billy Mitchell, already a badass, one-star yeah. general at that one point in time. After that, so he's constantly, meanwhile, he's constantly harassing the army, constantly harassing the Navy generals, saying, this is the future. This is what needs to happen. You need to fix this. And they're like, no, we're good. <laughs> and so they rearrange, after the end of the war, they rearrange the European front so that he's, there's no longer a one-star position for him so he drops back down to four. oh shit he's right? cool man so he's constantly harassing them um poking poking people and he says okay fine navy I'll, i've already proven why the air force is better than the army because you couldn't have scouted any of this out mm. without me um comes back and starts picking on the navy he says, hey, Navy, <laughs> I could sink any of your ships with just a small group of my planes. They're like, no, nope, not going to happen. And at the time, yeah, he's like, you're not going to sink my battleship, right? <laughs> at the time, the president, and I can't, give me a second. Don't ask specific deals. Oh, Warren Harding is the president. Harding? Harding oh, is the president, and he's a 100% Navy guy. Mm. Oh. and and he goes and mitchell goes hey i can sink any battleship and they're like fine here's three german ships we we stole after the end of world war one one of them was the i can't pronounce the name but it was the unsinkable yeah. battleship the, the, the germans were like there's no way you're ever going to sink it billy mitchell actually he helped invent ordinances to sink oh, these ships shit, yeah. and tactics to sink these ships. The first two he got on the first try. <laughs> and then the third one, the unsinkable one, they launched an attack. They had one chance to do it. Meanwhile, like prior to this, the Navy had rigged the rules and constantly been changing the rules, the time he was allowed to do it. So it's, strongly shifted the yeah. rules of engagement are strongly shifted in the navy's favor he bombs it he doesn't sink that ship on the first try they go out and inspect it he's like give me one more shot <laughs> goes out there breaks the backbone of it uses like a depth charge style snaps the spine of it and it sinks damn makes harding look like an ass because he's 100 percent navy and they had had a side comment of Hey, you do this, I'll shift funding to oh, the actual Air Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody says, nope, that was cheating. <laughs> it couldn't, that was a wartime environment. It doesn't count. So he says, fine, give me another ship. So they gave him an actual uh, U.S. Navy ship. He takes that and promptly just demolishes it. He actually dropped and invented uh, the USS Alabama. They, they developed a white phosphorus bomb that that just basically melts through everything. And he dropped it, sunk it, sunk it on the first try, basically. Well, Harding was already kind of getting indicted, getting in trouble for corruption, everything like that. 
Harding reneges on the deal and everybody tells Mitchell to shut up. Oh, so Mitchell's like, fine. They're like, uh, leave, go to Japan. So they assign him over to Japan. He's over there. He does his four-year tour, comes back and says, Japan is capable and able to come and attack us in a wartime situation. They will attack Hawaii on some sunny Sunday afternoon. In really? 1921, he calls it. Wow. In 1919, he calls the fact that we are going to be able to use airborne paratroopers to drop behind enemy lines and attack people's flank. Damn. All the army, all the navy's like, shut up. You're an <laughs> ass. Don't talk to me anymore. So he's calling all this stuff. He's already been demoted. And then the USS Shenandoah, that airship, which was in charge of, in charge by, or being ran by the army at the time, they made irresponsible decisions. It ends up crashing, killing multiple airmen. Uh. There were multiple Navy aircraft out there. And he's, and they crashed, like Navy seaplanes crashed, killing all aboard. And he's like, you guys are mismanaging this asset. Huh. Makes a huge deal out of it. Calls leadership downright treasonous. Oh, and at that point in time, the president and all the other generals are like, enough. Get him the hell out of here. Really? He gets court-martialed. So jury of his peers, supposedly, all army personnel, yeah. no air flying experience at all. Right. People that came to his defense, the list of people that came to his defense, Rickenbacker flew for him, which is the first yeah. U.S. ace. Yeah. Right. So he flew for him in World War One, and came to his defense. Will Rogers, a known like historic aviator, yeah. big promoter, um, came to his defense. Your boy Hap Arnold yeah. came to his defense. All this, all these guys, uh, spats. Oh, like, yeah. Later yeah. on, like the list of people who were like, hey, this guy's good. He's telling you exactly what you need to hear, but you're not listening. Nobody was paying attention. Oh, shit. MacArthur was actually on the jury. Oh, wow. He was the only one to say, no, acquit this guy. Everyone else said, nope, get rid of him. Really? There's a story out there that MacArthur's vote was later found in the judges' chambers, and it was never read aloud. Shit, really? Yeah. So he ends up getting court-martialed, and rather than take the punishment, he said, fine, I'm re retiring. I'm done. Wow. Goes on to continue to advocate for air power. Yeah. And, and preach all these things. There's two militaries that took every last bit of advice he gave out. That was Germany, who <laughs> then used his tactics to do the Blitzkrieg and freaking promote the Luftwaffe really? and demolish the living crap out of England. Yeah. Because they listened to his tactics. The other uh, foreign military was Japan. Japan. Oh, like both of those militaries are like, this guy's awesome. He's brilliant. Yeah. We're going to listen to everything he's got. 
When did he get out? What year was that that he got out? He got out before World War II. Okay. So the only U.S. bomber named after a person is the B-25 Mitchell, which flew off the USS Hornet in the Doolittle Raids. Doolittle Raid. First time you hit him. First time we got him back. And they utilized all the tactics and everything that Mitchell had said. Never got anything. He was posthumously awarded a Congressional Gold Medal. Mm-hmm. Never actually the Medal of Honor. He was it was a gold medal. So he got a gold star after he died. Thanks mm-hmm. for all the tactics. See you later. How would that have affected World War II if they'd have kept him in in service? You know? Oh my gosh, that would have been amazing. If they followed some of his doctrine, yeah, yeah. 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 See, they would have had to follow the doctrine because uh, I know Eric's going to talk, probably hit up a few things that there's, you know, if if you're not, if if he would have stayed in, but they don't follow the doctrine, it doesn't matter. He basically put out there in for the world to know here's all the faults and here's all the issues. So for a counter intel type thing, you're like, oh, this is every crack they have. Yeah. Let's exploit it. Yeah. Or let's steal their tactics and let them flounder around. Oh yeah, because yeah, like like you said, um, the army and the navy were running things, but yeah, Mitchell was one of those guys that he thought that the army and navy were a little bit, um, not exactly past the prime, but pretty much last legs, and we didn't really need them as much anymore for air power. So that rankled all the army and navy guys. So if you could have dialed that back a bit maybe he would have gotten a little further. What's the first thing we push for in any conflict nowadays? It's air oh, superiority. Air superiority. Air superiority right? yeah. Red superiority. Once you get that, then you can move in with other tactics. Well, you got to respect a guy who stuck to his guys. I thought so it was to make sure that we had the red cans of ribbit. <laughs> it's true. Rippets. So you, you do have to... <laughs> The rip it, man. The six ounce cans of rip it. That's one <laughs> sucked too. You do so once again. This made me think of you, Marty, in a way because he was right, but he could yeah. never get that damn message across. No, you can't because no, he yeah. went about it maybe the wrong way. Yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I get it because he knows it's frustrating. And he's probably going out of his mind. He's like, why can't you guys see this? Yeah. I, why, especially, why are you after me? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because he's calling him a dick. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You dicks need to listen to me. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's drop the dicks part. How about you guys <laughs> might want to hear this? Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dumb shits. <laughs> you ignorant bastards. <laughs> I'm sure it was some of those conversations, man. Just oh, like that. guaranteed. Absolutely. It's funny that it's literally, there's mentions of that kind of thing all the way from when he was a lieutenant in the Signal Corps in uh, Alaska. Yeah, yeah. All the way through his career. Mm. Like. But, yeah, but he never, he he never right. faltered. Yeah. He was, who, yeah. he was who he was. Yeah. And if you're good, you can get away with some stuff. Oh, I'm, it's a miracle. I made it all the way through. <laughs> How many stars did he have when he got out? He was None. a lieutenant colonel. 
Oh, he never got back to general? Oh, no, sorry. He was a full bird. Sorry. He was a general at one right. point in time. And then they've they jacked him over on positions. When he, he back got, when he resigned his commission, he was a full bird. Okay. So right. I don't know if he counts or not. <laughs> no, he counts. He, he obtained the rank. Yeah, he was a general. Yeah, he so was he, a general. Uh, he probably got that top two years. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> He got enough for retirement. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Eric, I'm going to go next because I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This will be interesting who stacks up, right? It's hard to beat that Billy Mitchell. I got to tell you. Oh, I got to beat. That's easy. I got to uh-huh. beat. Right. Well, you got a mean son there of a bitch. Go. You got a mean son of a bitch in LeMay. He wants to firebird, jerk, fireball everybody. Just fireball them. You want to win the war? Or do you want to just push around? Right. That's what I'm talking about. I'm excited to hear it. General Curtis Emerson LeMay. And it's funny. They always like the cigar chomping general, right? What would the general be? For the next big major war we have, is it going to be vaping? Yeah. <laughs> he ain't going to be on a cigar, right? He ain't going to be on cigarettes. He's going to be like the vaping general with the sharp strawberry flavor. <laughs> candy. Someone get me that air order of battle. Someone get me that target checklist. You, I need more Skittles in this vape. <laughs> Stop Give me the one with the little Japanese cat on it. I like that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, General, General Curtis Emerson LeMay was the fifth chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force. Uh, the, he was born in Columbus, Ohio in 1906, completed pilot training at Kelly Field, Texas, commissioned a second lieutenant in the Air Corps Reserve in October 1929, and received a regular commission in January 1930. Uh, LeMay... Uh, organized and trained the 305th Bombardment Group in 1942 and led that organization to combat in the European theater. He developed, it was funny because they, they had a problem with the bombers when they were going and trying to bomb a target and like none of the bombs were hitting because these, these pilots, when they started getting close, they started doing all these evasive maneuvers and they were just dropping hap- haphazardly. So he developed formation procedures and bombing techniques that were used by the B-17 bomber units throughout the European theater of operations. These fundamental procedures and techniques were later adapted to the B-29, which fought the war to its conclusion in the Pacific. So he came up with these tactics. It's like, when this plane drops, you all drop. That was LeMay. Because I saw that on Memphis Bell, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But I guess it didn't make sense before LeMay came along. Uh in September 28, 1943, he was promoted to Brigadier General, one star. Uh, in July 44, he was transferred to the Pacific to direct the B-29 bombardment activities of the 20th Bomber Command. He also directed the firebombing campaign against mainland Japan. <laughs> he killed a lot of people with that with that campaign. They said uh, like almost a million people or something like that. Uh, in October 47, he was selected to command the U.S. Air Forces in Europe with headquarters at Wiesbaden. He organized air ops for the famous Berlin Airlift. All right. So he's got firebombing campaign, formation procedures and bombing techniques, and the Berlin Airlift. 
and we're not done. A year later, he returned to the States, assumed command of the newly formed Strategic Air Command, and established its headquarters at Offutt Air Force Base, Nebraska. He was promoted to full gen- or four-star general on October 29th, 1951. General commanded SAC for nearly 10 years, and under his leadership and supervision, plans were laid for the development and integration of an ICBM or intercontinental ballistic missile capability. In July 1957, LeMay was appointed vice chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force and served in that capacity until 1961, at which time he was appointed, appointed chief of staff. Now, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, this is, I love this part. During the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, LeMay clashed with President Kennedy and Defense Secretary McNamara, arguing <laughs> that he should be allowed to bomb nuclear missile sites in Cuba. He's like, hey, I got a solution. I'll send the bombers in, baby. <laughs> he opposed the naval blockade and, after the end of the crisis, suggested that Cuba be invaded anyway, even after the Soviets agreed to withdraw their missiles. He was famous for saying, if I see that the Russians are amassing their planes for an attack, I'm going to knock the shit out of them before they take off the ground. <laughs> That's a general, baby. Right? He retired in 1965. LeMay was the youngest four-star general in American military history. He served with four stars longer than anyone ever had, uh, which is a big deal for a general who didn't go to a service academy. Uh, he w- he earned the nickname Iron Ass for his stubbornness and shortness once his mind was made up. So let me recap. He was a four-star for 14 years. He came up with the formation procedures and bombing techniques for the B-17 and B-29. He firebombed Japan. He organized the Berlin Airlift. He established SAC. And he wanted to bomb the Cubans. <laughs> I don't know how you argue with that. I don't that's know how you beat that. I mean, the father of the Air Force or the father of SAC? I don't know. The father of killing, baby. Killing from the so, air. I think LeMay, yeah, LeMay was the general that the movie Dr. Strangelove yeah, was based Yeah, that was, the, yes. that was the guy they based it off of. Yeah. Yeah. The, That's the right. Rode the bomb out. You want a general to win some shit? Put LeMay in charge. And He's also the guy who gave us the line, we'll bomb them back to the Stone Age. Oh, that was LeMay, huh? Yeah. I didn't run across he that. said that during hey, look, way to go in vice president for uh, George Wallace. Okay. <laughs> Put another tick in LeMay's column. I see. I don't know if running his vice Venmo. president for, uh, for a segregationist <laughs> is really a feather. That's not while he was general. Right, true, but he also didn't say I will uh, bomb them back to the Stone Age while general. I'm just looking at the time he was general, so you have to and adjust your selection criteria with whatever biases you already have or Venmo bumps. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, uh, Marty, I didn't think you could download that app faster. I'm impressed. I'm not, I, I said I, LeMay stands on his own. If I got a bra, if I got a Venmo Shannon, then it's it's already fixed. It's, 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 it's fucked already. <laughs> That's my case for Curtis LeMay. 
All right. So I'm going to talk about General Hap Arnold, and I want to preference this with from LeMay to Mitchell, the aggressiveness, the the roughness around the feathers, their <laughs> their determination to kill people. Hap wasn't quite that bad. He was more use your brain, research. How are yeah. we going to make the Air Force the most powerful Air Force in the world? You know, Eric, that's a good point. And let me interject. I think LeMay got up to the top and then just was a prick, you know, the whole the whole time. That's probably how Mitchell would have been if he oh. had just like, if, if I get in a job, this is what I'm doing, baby. They would probably have were very similar personalities. It's just Mitchell, they wouldn't let him in the club. Yeah, you know, they it's just kept hard to dispute what Mitchell or LeMay both did. But when you talk about the father of the Air Force and then LeMay, I think I've got the grandfather. Okay. <laughs> the creator of air power, man. All right. Speaking of the grandfather. So Henry Harley Hap Arnold was born 1886, June 25th, Gwendolyn, Pennsylvania. Father wanted him to be a minister. Hap had more yeah. of a um, an adventure spirit, so he went to West Point. Arnold, who enters West Point as a young cadet in 1903, Damn. top of his class, the same year that the Wright brothers flew the first air-powered, heavier-than-aircraft at Kitty Hawk. So right from the get-go, he knew it was out there, but at first he was not impressed really? with the flights of Kitty Hawk. No. Huh. So he gets a nickname, Happy. He's Hap. That's where Hap came from. Uh, he's elated to leave the small town and carry on the family's military heritage. Heritage. He became a member of the Black Hand, a secret organization that managed to keep him in the bottom quarter of his class and discipline. <laughs> Education, as far as grades, he was top. Arnold is expected to become a cavalry officer upon graduation. Um, yeah, wasn't happy about that, but found himself in the infantry instead. So interestingly enough, aviation was his fourth choice. He didn't find that air power could do what it could do until he becomes a pilot. Um, after the, the boys at Kitty Hawk teach him how to fly. So I like Wright brothers taught him how to fly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the early guys, there's no one else around to instruct. Yeah, that's right. These are only, that, only that two was qualified it. guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was either you went to them or you went to like the Microsoft Flight Simulator, one or the other. <laughs> so the turning of this um, came as he's waiting promotion to first lieutenant. He took an examination for an opening in the ordnance department. While he awaited the results, the War Department asked if he'd be willing to become a pilot. Arnold was unsure and asked the commander for advice. The senior soldier told Arnold he knew no better way for a man to kill himself. So Arnold jumped at the opportunity because of the sense of adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He next becomes, he uh, gets his pilot's license, license, he gets his wings. After extensive training on the ground, Arnold made his first flight on May 3rd. It lasted seven minutes. Okay. So not only is he starting to appreciate what air power can do, he's becoming one of them, right? 
So Lieutenant Four Ar- times longer than my first time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lieutenant Arnold received his badge as a military aviator number one in 1912. He, reser- he receives the first McKay Trophy for flying a 42-mile triangular circuit and for establishing a new world altitude record of 6,000 feet. So from the beginning, it's not so much combat-related, but he's starting to determine what airframes yeah. can do yeah. and where it can take you. Um, he's in a horrible crash, oh. and he decides to quit flying. Uh, he had seen too many friends die, and his nerves were shot. The decision greatly relieved his fiance Eleanor. The two were married in 1913. Arnold got flying fever again. His wife could no longer stand to see him in so much anguish and encouraged him to fly again. It was all the encouragement he needed. When World War I broke out in Europe, Arnold was in Panama. He was recalled to Washington to be the chief of the information division in 1917, and he became the assistant director of military aviation. So he's listening to Billy Mitchell. Uh, they were friends. That's right. He flew under him. Right? He flew under Mitchell, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and he's starting to hear his doctrine and appreciate what he can yep. do. Uh, he was the youngest colonel in the Army that had the position of assistant director of military aviation. Damn. So in 1925, after graduating from the Army Industrial College, he returns to Washington there he found himself in the middle of the biggest military trial of the century. Colonel Billy Mitchell, his court martial. <laughs> Arnold plunged headlong into the trial, testifying in Mitchell's behalf. When, when the trial was over, he got rewarded for speaking out. It was exiled to Fort Riley, Kansas. Oh, shit. <laughs> so that's where he drops. But he never lost his need for flying integrity first, but it'll fucking cost you. Yeah. It'll cost you. <laughs> in 1931, Colonel Arnold became the commander of March field in Riverside, California. While there, oh, he arranged my. for the purchase of a huge chunk of Mojave desert. He used the Murdoch dry Lake area for training his pilots in combat operations, both air to air and bomb bombardment. So oh. right there, he's starting to lay the groundwork. For pilots, yeah, air there and bombard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the land he purchased later became Edwards Air Force Base, by the way. Wow, oh, really? Yep. On February 11th, 1935, Arnold receives his first star, skipping the rank of colonel due to the expansion of the Air Corps rank structure associated with the aviation of General Headquarters Air Force. Uh, his work during wartime made him a legend in both military and civilian circles. He opened officer candidate schools. I love this part. He opened officer candidate schools in Miami Beach hotels that had yeah. been emptied by the war, cajoled civilian flying schools into training pilots for the army long before funds and official approval were available. Constantly pushed aircraft manufacturers for more and better equipment. So without HAP, you don't have air, aircraft. You don't have Billy yeah. LeMay's bombers. Okay. You, you also, Doolittle was one of Hap's proteges. Absolutely. Oh, he was. Okay. So you have Ecker, who was 8th Air Force, that was right under him. Um, you have Spatz, who was with him. Yeah. And you yeah. have Doolittle, who was with, was one of their proteges also. Yeah. 
So that whole early bombardment campaign, the Doolittle raids, all that stuff. Yeah. Mitchell had already been kicked out. He had passed on the knowledge. Yeah. That picked that stuff up. He was running with it. And then was running with it and training these guys. That so here's, I think, is a, a key piece for that, exactly what you were saying. In 1923, General Arnold was introduced to Dr. Theodore von Karman. He's a Hungarian scientist who had later became instrumental figure figure in the development of the AEDC. You guys remember what AEDC was? Nope. No. It, it's the research. I, I love throwing that at you. No. <laughs> it's the <laughs> research. It's the research, uh, development research for aircraft. Oh, okay. Um, Arnold had found the aeronautics tutor he needed. He became dependent upon von Karman to inform, educate, and guide him in, during his years in command of the Army Air Corps, later called the Army Air Forces. Their relationship grew, and near the end of World War II, Arnold asked von Karman to direct a study of military aeronautical technology and its future. Considering the state of the art in Germany, Japan, Russia, and all the countries in between them, the result led to the December 1945 report Toward New Horizons. It was called Toward New Horizons, which is now considered the blueprint for Air Force research and development. Okay. Um, in 1947, after U.S. Air Force became an independent service, Truman made Arnold General of the Air Force, the first five-star. Oh. Arnold is the only airman to hold the rank and the only five-star general to serve in two services at a five-star rank, which was the Army Air Corps and Air Force. Yeah, yeah. Uh, January 15, 1950, he has a six-heart attack, retired. Yeah. It's six. Took a, took a toll yeah. on the man. It's a tough son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on January 15, 1950, that heart attack claims his life. So. Oh, shit. Not so much from, again, a combat stature, but – Someone who did nothing but lay the groundwork yeah. for your oh, guys to become who they were. Carried on. Yeah. yeah. You know, that that's it's undeniable the foundations that he he laid and, and carried on. Right. Maybe somebody would argue in the right way, but some might argue in a fucking lame way. <laughs> <laughs> if he was more of a big boy. You would have called so Shannon, yeah. you gotta look at this from the hell with the two freaking aggressive dickheads. Yeah, talk about a guy named Hal for Happy who laid the groundwork to be the 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 best um can always fumble with words, lay the groundwork for the best air force in the world. All right. So question for you. So whenever it came to uh bombings in Japan. Um, they were originally doing, uh, they were testing out precision bombing in Japan, but they didn't give it a chance. Hap didn't give it enough time to, you know, show that it was actually working. So who do you think he put in charge of the bombings in Japan? LeMay. LeMay. That's it. Let's uh, drop napalm uh, on him. <laughs> and that's exactly how it went. Um, and so that was, uh, so I, I have to admit, so I, I looked into to to Hap Arnold years ago in the military. It was probably one of my like ALSs or something like that. And one of the big things that you were talking about, man, is he they 
the the other generals were saying, hey, what are you doing talking to all these long hairs in the academics to try to figure this stuff out? It's, you know, you go, you kill, you break stuff and you leave. He's like, no, these guys can show us better ways to do this. Yeah. More Um, efficient. More efficient. Yeah. He would would change his mind if he was if he was given different info. He was completely against jet engines. And then he saw one in, what was it? Uh, the English had one, one of their first jet engines. And he's like, oh, man, I'm a dumbass for not pushing this. We got to get this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I he five-star general. It's kind of hard to go wrong with that. I like he's, LeMay was the longest-serving four-star, but he never made five. This <laughs> dude got BTZ'd over Colonel. <laughs> you don't you know, want a barely one star that got promoted <laughs> to colonel and then kicked out. Well, I can't quite understand where he's leaning, but I'm pretty sure Mitchell's out. <laughs> so basically, father of is in between a dick sandwich. You got Mitchell and LeMay, and then you got him in the center. He's like he is. The double stuff of an Oreo. Well, <laughs> we, my, my coworker and I had that discussion earlier today. It's it's interesting, and we used football. Like, there's those the team coaches that are all snuggles and squeezes, and then there's the disciplinary coaches yeah, that, yeah. that come up. And it's the perfect timing in between that a disciplinary guy will just build a whole new team and lay the foundation. And do amazing things, but he doesn't know when to turn it off. Yeah. Right. And they'll right. get a team guy to come in and he'll win two, three Super Bowls, two Super Bowls, and then it'll dissolve because he doesn't know how to build a or team. maintain it. Right. 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 He, yeah. he, or maintain that team. And it takes a disciplinary to come in or a revolutionary guy to come in and say, Nope, you guys are your guys are buttheads. Get out of the way. We're doing it this way. Well, and the army had that too because they had yeah. they had Patton, yep. uh-huh. but they had Bradley, and Bradley was the guy in the middle. Bradley knew, hey, put Patton to work, uh, but let me let me know how I I know how to do the political stuff. I know how to dog off the leash, too. basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. and right. and and give him top cover. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happened right. with Lemay right. when he said, yeah. "Go in there and have." You know, do what you do with the Japanese. He took the leash off. I mean, yeah. LeMay even said it himself. If we would have lost World War II, I yeah, would have been, been up war for crimes. war crimes. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, one other accomplishment here that we didn't talk about that I looked out purposely was the creation of the WASP, the Women's Air Service Pilots. That was Mr. Arnold Hap. Hap Arnold created that and allowed the women to become, oh. you know, when men were being taken into the service and Pilots were being reduced, you know, constantly. Women started flying those, not combat missions, but cargo missions and every other freaking thing. That That's the one pilot. negative. One strike. <laughs> oh. Of course. All right. Time All right, is Shannon, nigh. Sorry, gents. Like I said, got to go with hat. Um, all three (laughs) individuals, um, but, um, you know, not even sure if you listened to all the arguments, you were just, (laughs) uh, most of the stuff that I had read, I'll tell you this, 
I almost switched over to Mitchell, but the whole oh. thing of the the biggest thing with Mitchell is that what I looked at on these, you know, for an all-star general, what I wanted to have served it with that guy and put my name with that legacy. So yeah, they all had great legacies, but to me, um, Hap was he would bring the best together. It wasn't about him, you know, being the best and doing this. Hap brought the best together. You know, he brought he's the one who start he he knew that the military could not build a good airplane. So he went and he got engineers from the academic side of the house to do that. Yeah. So he true. thought outside the box and didn't have to piss everyone off. That is true. That's, That's a good fair. choice. He knew that the army, yeah. the navy, and the marine uh, the army, the navy, and the air force could work together. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Eric wins again. <laughs> All right. That's I think we'll call that end up. <laughs> That was so horrible. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna force it every time. And up. Oh, wait, the like end. Military dad joke. It's bad. Yeah, Shannon, end up. You know, index, end up. End of X episode. I mean, I can see index like exercise end. Well, this is not an exercise. It's an episode. It's kind of an exercise in futility. that much is true (laughs) that much is true (laughs) on that note on behalf of all of us here I'd like to thank you for listening today please like share subscribe and let us know how we did in the comments and as always make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news Shannon thanks for sitting in with us that was a blast gentlemen thanks for the week have a good week Shannon, thanks for being here, man. Have a good one. Hey, uh, did I do okay? Seriously. Ah, well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> good. Look, hey, I'm a big fan of feedback. Let me know because if I don't get the invite to ever do this again, I'll know how I did. Then you'll know. Should <laughs> <laughs> have picked LeMay. <laughs> That's right. There is a little bit of retribution, you know, just like against Mitchell. The same thing. Brother, you can come back to my part of the show anytime you want. Oh, my God. There we go. All right. On that note, Eric, always remember, you'll learn a gold star in my book. You might be dead, (laughs) but you'll learn a gold star. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.